Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to choose just a couple verses to focus on from our gospel lesson, the continuation of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, verses 43 through 45, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That is our text. Brothers and sisters in Christ, like last week, I'm just going to focus on a few verses of the Gospel lesson. There's just too much to bite off in one setting, especially if it's a bitter bite, like love your enemy. Last week we heard examples of people reducing God's law to mere external observance. And this week we hear people adding to God's law, but for the same purpose of getting out from under the heavy demands of that law. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. True, it had been said and it had been written. But then came that unsourced addition to hate your enemy. False. It may have been said, but it certainly wasn't written, at least not in God's word. Oh, we do have something like that in one of our old liturgical prayers as a petition for deliverance from our enemies. I remember praying that petition to a large group of people at a church in Cleveland. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have because I loudly and boldly and emphatically ask God to deliver us from our enemas. <laughs> Classic clergy fail. I wasn't sure if I should go back and correct myself or just hope that my mistake would pass over uh, the audience. But when I turned around, I saw a lot of people rejoicing perhaps thinking it was a legitimate request <laughs> rather than a faux pas petition. The addition, hate your enemy, was a convenient out. But Jesus quickly dams up this perhaps damning out by saying, love your enemy. Yowza, that's a tough play. Endure our enemies, maybe, but love our enemies? Pray for our enemies? Forgive our enemies? How convenient it would be for us if we could just keep this hate your enemies clause. Well, some of the teachers of the law did. They added hate your enemy. Maybe we'd do that, too. Maybe we relish the opportunity to share our list of enemies to the first sympathetic audience we find. 
Who is our enemy? Well, they could be as far away as ISIS or as close as our boss. They could be an ex-spouse or even someone in our house. They could be someone down the street or someone down the pew. And our list of enemies is rather open-ended. This hate your enemy clause allows anyone to become our enemy at will. Maybe instead of identifying our enemies, we should ask, who is my neighbor? If you recall, a certain lawyer asked that question to Jesus, but he really only asked it to justify himself, to reduce his love list and to expand his hate list. Frederick Buechner suggests that this was really the type of answer that the lawyer was hoping to get from Jesus. A neighbor, here in after, referred to as the party of the first part, is to be construed as meaning a person of Jewish descent whose legal residence is within a radius of no more than three statute miles from one's own legal residence, unless there is another person of Jewish descent, here in after, to be referred to as the party of the second part, living closer to the party of the first part than one is oneself, in which case the party of the second part is to be construed as neighbor to the party of the first part, and one is oneself relieved of all responsibility of any sort or kind, whatever. So you get the point. I hope we don't go out of our ways to minimize our neighbor list and maximize our enemy list. For soon we would have no one left to love. And love is one of those things, like a foreign language, where if you don't use it, you lose it. And we all have a lot of love to use, even on our enemies. For it is God's love, and, and his love is quite effective on enemies. After all, it was quite effective on you and me. You see, whereas we can turn neighbors into enemies in hate, God turns enemies into neighbors, even sons and daughters, in love. Oh yes, God loved us even while we were his enemies. The Apostle Paul states, but God demonstrates his own love in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And now Jesus says to you and me, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We are to love our enemies, not to earn the right to be children of our Heavenly Father. The Greek tense here suggests that we've already been made children of our Father in heaven. That is a fact already accomplished by his love. And that fact empowers us and emboldens us to now love our enemies just as if they were our neighbors. No, it's not easy. It's not easy to love an enemy. Martin Luther wrote, when a man is genuinely meek, 
His heart is pained at every evil that happens to his enemy. Such people are the true children and heirs of God and brethren of Christ, whose heart was pained for all of us on the Holy Cross. That's what meek people do. They love their enemy. And if you recall from the Beatitudes, that is one of the blessings that Jesus pronounces upon us. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who love their enemy and pray for their enemy and forgive their enemy. By the way, we have such a prayer for our enemies in our Lutheran service book. If you'd like, you can turn to page 306, 306 at the very top and follow along as I pray for our enemies. Almighty, everlasting God, through your only Son, our blessed Lord, you commanded us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who persecute us. Therefore, we earnestly implore you that by your gracious working, our enemies may be led to true repentance, may have the same love toward us as we have toward them, and may be of one accord and of one mind and heart with us and with your whole church through Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgiveness is the essence of love. The cross is the essence of love. Forgiveness and the cross go hand in hand. It was there where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was there where Jesus loved his enemies. It was there where Jesus loved you and me. So I guess loving our enemies means forgiving our enemies. After all, we are sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. We ourselves are filled with his forgiveness. So much forgiveness has been given to us that it can't help but overflow onto others, even our enemies. The Augsburg Confession states, we do not love at all unless our hearts are sure that the forgiveness of sins has been granted to us. Take comfort though, we, we can love because we are sure that the forgiveness of sins has been granted to us. We are sure. We are sure that forgiveness was achieved for us on the cross. We are sure that Forgiveness has been granted to us in faith. We are sure that forgiveness has been sealed in us in holy baptism. We are sure that forgiveness was proclaimed to us in the words of absolution. And we are sure that forgiveness is given to us when we take holy communion. We are sure. That means we can now love. We can even love our enemies. Ask the God of love to help you in this awesome task. 
And the next time you find yourself getting a little calloused in the heart, look at the cross. That display of love for enemies, that display of love for you and me, moves us now to love our enemy. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.